You know, today we continue the sermon series we started at the beginning of Lent, which is calling, discovering our purpose. And we've been in this sermon series, uh, this is the fourth week now. Uh, The first week, of course, we looked at Samuel and he taught us about listening to discover God's purpose. And then it was Esther who who taught us about preparing uh, to experience God's purpose. And last Sunday, we talked about Moses and Moses um, uplifted the aspect of failing. We can, uh, we can even discover God's purpose in the midst of our failing, can't we? And today we're going to be into that wonderful story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and what they teach us about persevering. You know, speaking of persevering, I read a a kind of a funny story this past week. It was a man who had gone to a counselor, you know, via the telephone. That's the way we do it these days, right? And he had met with the counselor, and uh, this man was a jogging enthusiast and um, was um, into healthy habits in life, but his, his marriage wasn't healthy. And so he was there with the counselor basically to uh, to talk about um, how he could be a better husband, how their relationship could be better. And the counselor felt the man was so uptight on the phone and uh, that he needed desperately to unwind. So the counselor gave him one assignment. He said, you know, I-, I want you to call me back in two weeks, but for the next 14 days, I want you to jog 10 miles a day for the next 14 days. And so sure enough, two weeks later, um, the man called the counselor back and the counselor said, well, how, how are you doing? And he said, well, I'm, I'm doing just fine. He said, um, well, have you, have you been doing your jogging? He said, yep. Just like you told me 10 miles a day for the last 14 days. The counselor then asked, well, uh, well, how's your wife? He said, I couldn't tell you I'm 140 miles away from home. And I think the point of that, in light of the passage that we've read today and the story of Ruth, is you can't run away from your problems. You have to face them. You have to persevere in the midst of your problems. You know, persisting, and this is going to be the definition we're working off of this morning, continue firmly or obstinately in an opinion or a course of action in spite of difficulty, opposition, or failure. You know, persisting is not always a good thing. One can persist in a bad habit, right? One can persist in, in, in drinking too much and can be an alcoholic. One can persist in, in, in taking opioids and find themselves in the midst of an addiction. And that persistence is, is, is actually dangerous. One can persist in an abusive relationship that's not life-giving. In fact, it's life-defeating. It's life-diminishing. And you, you have to pursue um, some relationships with that understanding that persistence might be damaging. But on the other hand, one can discover purpose if persisting is based on wholesome values and the best of Christian ethics. I want to say that again. One can discover purpose 
if persisting is based on wholesome values and the best of Christian ethics. Do you remember the story of Ruth and Naomi? I would imagine we know parts of the story. We we know the gist of the story. Well, I'm going to try to get into this short story that sometimes in literature known as the first short story or the oldest short story uh, that we know. It starts with Naomi's husband, Elamelech, who ran away with his family to the land of Moab to escape a famine. He had reached the point that persisting in his homeland of Bethlehem uh, was actually dangerous to their existence as a family. So he goes to Moab, and Naomi and Elimelech, they have two sons. One son is named Malan, and the other is named Chilion. And and when they get to the land of Moab, uh, eventually, um, Elimelech, he dies. Which leaves Naomi as a widow. And, and Malan and Chilion, since they're still in Moab, they, they both marry. They marry Moabite women. People of another culture, another religion. Chilion marries a woman named Orpah. And Malan marries a woman named Ruth. And lo and behold, the the young men die, which leaves three widows together, Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. It's a tragedy. So Naomi reaches the conclusion that she has no future by persisting in Moab. She has to go home. And Bethlehem is her home. She believes that when she gets back home as a widow, that maybe her relatives will take care of her. And so she starts making preparations to leave. Now she encourages her daughters-in-law, whom she loves very much, to, to stay in their homeland of Moab. That it will be better for them to be in Moab. And to perhaps marry Moabite men than than it would be for them to go with her to a foreign land. Ruth and and Orpah, they want desperately to be with Naomi. but, but, But she's making this point. You can't go with me. You see, you'll be a foreigner in my land. The law, our law, says that it'll be ten generations before you would be accepted. Ten generations. You have to stay. And and then she comes to that classic uh, graphic illustration when she said, Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? You have to stay. And and Orpah, she sees the wisdom of her mother-in-law, Naomi. And painstakingly, she decides to stay. And who could blame her? Ruth, on the other hand, decides that she will go with Naomi. She won't let Naomi travel alone back to Bethlehem. She's going to be beside her. She realizes and weighs the sacrifice, but she persists. I'm going to be with you. 
She wanted to face the problems that Ruth was going to face as a widow. She wanted to face those problems as a widow with her. And then we come to that classic uh, verse in the Bible that we've, we've heard so many times before where Ruth is speaking to her mother-in-law and, and says this, where you go, I will go. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. In other words, Ruth said, let's go to your home together. Let's face the problems that we both will have as widows. Let's face them together. Let's face the poverty that we're facing now in Moab. Let's face this poverty in Bethlehem. Let's go together. And in your people, your relatives will be my people, my relatives. And your God will be my God. You know, how many times I, I have heard this passage read at a wedding, right? Where a young couple is standing together very much in love and they want read what this uh, daughter-in-law said to her mother-in-law. A little bit strange. But, but the point is of this passage, it is so very much about persisting loyalty. That, that, that couples choose it over and over and over again because it says what they want to state in their marriage. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Ruth was committed to her mother-in-law even when there was nothing for her, nothing for her to gain. Church, we need to be about helping people, helping young couples, helping others build the kinds of marriages and face life's trials and tribulations as well as life's joys and celebrations on the love of Ruth and Naomi. We need to have that kind of love that we promote, that kind of loyal persisting. Now, now back to the story. Ruth and Naomi go to Naomi's home, which is Bethlehem, and they face the problems of being poor, being widows, being those dependent totally on others. The only food that Naomi and Ruth had was the, the, the food that would be left in the fields by the farmers. It was a system called gleaning. For by law, um, the, the farmers could only pass through the field once. Everything else had to be left. And, and the, the poor, the widows, the orphans, they would glean the fields in order to get what they could to sustain life. And one day, uh, Naomi went to a, a cousin's field. Boaz was his name. He was a wealthy landowner, farmer. And, and Naomi noticed that Boaz had noticed 
Ruth. And, and then that's where uh, the passage that Tom read so well for us picks up. It's a little spicy, isn't it? Her, her, her mother-in-law, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi says, well, here's what you got to do. He's going to get a little tipsy tonight because the barley harvest is nearly in. And, and he'll probably go to sleep right there on the threshing floor. And when he's content and when he's in bed, then you lift up the covers and you, you just lie down right there at his feet. And she did just that. And, and then here's what we have said by Boaz when he wakes up and lo and behold, there's a young woman at his feet. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. This last instance of your loyalty is better than the first. You have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask for all the assembly. Listen to this. All the assembly of my people know that you are a worthy woman. Do you hear it? People knew Ruth's story. People knew Naomi's story. People knew the loyalty, the persisting loyalty that this young daughter-in-law had for her mother-in-law. And Boaz recognized that, that where he was with her at this point in time, that loyalty that exceeded the loyalty of her uh, being with her mother-in-law was a loyalty to Naomi's God. She was at the feet of Boaz because of the law of God. She was at the feet of her mother-in-law's next of kin out of respect, not just for Naomi, but out of respect for Naomi's faith and religion. The story continues. Boaz knows the law. Boaz knows that there's one cousin closer to Naomi, and therefore Ruth, than he is. He said, let me go check with that cousin to see if things are good. If he wants to take you as his wife, so be it. But if not, I'm the man. And we know how the story ends, right? You can't have the first original short story not have a great ending or that might have been the last short story, right? Boaz and Ruth marry. And Ruth bore a son, and his name was, was Obed. And, and Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David, King David. You, you know, that shepherd boy from Bethlehem who, who ends up killing a giant and becoming the king. 
who is in the lineage of that other babe of Bethlehem who we call Lord and Savior, Jesus. I hope you don't miss it that in our lineage, our Judeo-Christian lineage, there is Jesus who is the offspring of a Moabite woman. Speaking that our Lord and Savior is for the world. Not just for one people. Not just for the relatives. But that expansion of God's love is vast. Ruth persisted. And, and Ruth and Naomi were taken care of by this man, Boaz, who accepted his responsibility in taking Ruth as his wife. Persisting with a holy purpose And put in God's hands always sees us through. When we persist with a holy purpose. And put whatever that circumstance, whatever that challenge is in God's hands. God sees us through. Amen. I I love those masked amens. You know, I got in touch with a friend this past week, a friend of mine, a friend of many of yours, one we love so much, Elaine Dancer. I couldn't help but think of Elaine and Dudley, her husband, in reading the story of Ruth and Naomi. You remember Dudley, who was on staff here the better part of two decades, who took care of us so well, did our pastoral care uh, and counseling. He, he was such a champion. And he contracted Parkinson's. That was pretty fast advancing. I remember Elaine once saying to me that she did not believe that God brought diseases on people, that diseases came because we live in a fallen world. I believe that. And and she said something else I believe. She said, but I do believe in the midst of these bad circumstances, God can lead us to discover our purpose. Maybe even especially when we're in the midst of hard circumstances. Dudley and Elaine didn't run from the problems of Parkinson's. And the dementia that's akin to Alzheimer's that accompanied it for Dudley. We we all marveled at their love. Elaine said on several occasions that she asked God... What are you trying to teach me, God? What do you want me to learn? I want to know because this is no fun. If there's a larger purpose for me in mind, let me know what it is. Because this is tough. She said that the first thing that 
she learned in the midst of this that, that, that God taught her was that we are primarily spiritual beings wrapped in flesh. Hear it. She said over and over again, I would approach Dudley when his mind was not really there and, and his ministry would come alive as we would sing hymns together or pray the Lord's Prayer or recite the 23rd Psalm. We are primarily spiritual, meant to face life's joys and problems spiritually with God. She said, secondly, God has taught me the difference between unselfish love and selfless love. She said that she'd always believed that she loved unselfishly and that she did not love others for what they could do for her. She just loved people for who they were. Now that's admirable. She said selfless love is about a real love with the primary concern being for the other person. And she sometimes would be with Dudley and she said he'd be obviously uh, somewhere else. The disease had taken him. She said sometimes he wouldn't even know who I was. She said sometimes I'd leave him and go to the car and I'd just cry because it was obvious he really was confused about who I was. She said then, God showed me that these last days were about Dudley, not about me. She said it was easy to give to Dudley selflessly. But God was teaching me something even greater. That that it wasn't just about Dudley. It was the way we are to treat others always with a higher ethic. Christian ethic that loves others selflessly. Wow. You know, when we think about discovering our purpose and what God teaches us, sometimes in the midst of our challenges, and, and we, we can see that in our persisting that God, that God has a word for us. And what powerful words God taught Elaine and therefore God's taught us us. Let, let me say one more word in closing. It's about Christian community. God gives us Christian community so that we can completely learn to love one another selflessly. Now, Jimmy and Tom and I were talking this morning about how much we've learned in this year of COVID crisis. How we've realized that we've done things differently and better and some of the things we've learned we'd never do otherwise or some of the things we'll do will be enhanced by what we've learned as we persist in the midst of COVID-19. You know, we've learned so much about virtual 
uh, been together, right? We, we have Sunday school classes in groups and meetings that we conduct that have attendance like we didn't see in person. And I think we were all shocked at first. We can even have a choir sing. And they've all recorded it um, on their own. And, and Jimmy takes 100 hours. But he can put that together. And, and it's like we've never heard before. But let me tell you something. Christian community is enhanced by virtual reality. But Christian community needs to touch it needs to hold it needs to to be together spiritually and in the flesh church we have to stand beside one another when we face problems and face them with one another we may be running from problems that are relational. We may be trying to get away from problems that are, are personal in, in whatever way. It may even be scary. We may be facing problems related to the death of a loved one or the death of a relationship. But God wants us to stop and eventually hold hands, embrace with a hug. And walk back home, whatever that means to you. And God, let God love us and others through our persisting by faith. Do you believe that day's coming? I do. I, I believe that we'll always have this virtual dynamic and have virtual congregation meeting all over the world. But I know how much I miss being together, persisting together, caring one with another, side by side, together. The love of God that we see in the side by side of Ruth and Naomi we see perfectly in Jesus. In Jesus we see that love most perfectly displayed on the cross. And during this Lenten journey we always walk toward the cross. And we walk toward our Lord's persistent love. A love that never quits. A love that never gives up. A love that never fails. A love that always persists. It is the love from the very heart of God that we celebrate. It's I'll love you no matter what. I'll always be there for you that Jesus represents. The risen Lord represents. And I close with this sentence. Let the Lord love you. You. Through whatever you face. And into God's purpose for you. Persist in the love of your 
Lord Jesus. Community of faith. Let us persist and love with that selfless love. The love of Jesus. And people will come back to this community to get that love. Amen.